welcome back. I'm Ian Linder, and you're listening to the Risk-Free Podcast. As a property and casualty insurance advisor, I've dedicated my career to protecting the assets and liabilities of corporations in some of the riskiest industries out there. On each episode of the Risk-Free Podcast, we'll go in-depth with business owners and executives to discuss how they're managing some of the most dangerous risks posing a threat to their business. Thanks for tuning in, and I hope you enjoy. Hey, everyone. Welcome back for episode two of the Risk-Free Podcast. Before we get into it, I just want to thank everybody for the overwhelming positive feedback we've received after episode one. This is definitely only the beginning, and we have a lot of good stuff coming. Today, I'm very excited to bring in Robert Chaffee, the co-founder and COO of Progressive Computing. Now, since 1993, they've been working to provide businesses in New York City, Westchester County, and the surrounding areas with IT support, cloud computing, data backup and recovery, vendor management, VOIP services, and cybersecurity. Robert is here. He's ready to go. So let's not waste any more time. Let's jump right into it. Robert Chioffi, thanks so much for being my second guest on the Risk-Free Podcast. Really appreciate having on somebody of your experience and of your title. Thank you, Ian, for welcoming me to your uh, second episode. Um, It's a pleasure to be here. I'm honored. So the pandemic has been so hard on everybody, you know, at, at least in the New York area. It seems like we might be getting over a hump a little bit, still a lot of work left to do, but how are you doing personally, you know, your family and everything? How are you guys doing? Yeah, I, I mean, I sure hope so. You know, if it, it, it's going to sound like a complaint, so I don't mean to make it sound like this, but, you know, it's it's hard being cooped up. I mean, I know other people have it worse. I've got uh, two girls, one in college who was uh, suddenly last minute, spring break decision, everybody go home. Uh, So her spring semester, freshman year was disrupted. So she was a bit uh, sad by that. And an 11-year-old who's actually really, you know, both kids really, really studious, but the 11-year-old has been struggling with this uh, distance learning. Uh, And my wife and I both work. So it's been been difficult keeping the family's sanity sort of together. So we've been trying to do some fun things at night and fun things on the weekend as best as we can. Yeah, that's good. You know, I'm all about family myself. So it's hard not to look at it from a negative perspective when you watch the news and you look at what's going on. But I always like to see the light in it and try to take advantage of the situation because when have we ever gotten this opportunity to spend time with our families like this? But getting back to business, tell me how progressive computing is doing from a functional and operational standpoint. Well, there's, I mean, so much has been forced upon us, right? So we have, um, uh, for our, for our company with 30 employees, I have uh, just about 27 people working from home. And it's been hard on the team because they really miss the camaraderie of being in the office and uh, physically being next to or near each other. And uh, just that group dynamic that takes place that you really can't get from home. Um, you know, so that's been sort of interesting to... Uh, to grapple with. And we've, we've tried some ways to overcome that by sometimes we have people come in uh, for a little bit. Uh, since we are essential services, you know, some of our guys have to go on site for mission critical stuff. 
uh, certainly a lot of virtual uh, meeting calls, video calls. It's almost mandatory. I, I want to see you. I don't want to just talk on the phone. So that, that's been a way to uh, keep connected. I'll say the biggest impact has been on our customers that although we've set them up to work from home or to remotely access systems, no one really thought about doing that in, at 100% capacity and certainly not for more than a short period of time. Um, so that's created a whole sort of different challenges in terms of security, uh, risks that we're taking that we weren't necessarily prepared for. So it's put a lot of strain and stress on both us and our customer base. I would have to assume, though, that progressive computing being in the tech space, that your employees might be more accustomed to this and have been able to adjust to it a little bit easier. Has that made it easier? Yeah, we were we were actually... Our, ahead of the curve, uh, not to beat up that word too much, uh, flattening the curve. We were ahead of the curve when Cuomo ordered 25% and then 50%. We were actually ahead of that number, anticipating that you know we needed to protect the health of our, our people, especially those that really didn't need to be in the office daily. Everything for us is already completely cloud-based, virtualized. And you know, for the most part, most of our clients were there or almost there or there enough, I should say. So one can be accustomed to using the technology at home, but we can't overlook the human factor of working and living in the same space 24-7. It, it takes a toll, I think, on people's emotional, their stress levels. So certainly the technology is there to solve the problems, but it's the human factor that we're also dealing with. At the end of the day, what choice do we really have? We have to adapt. But over the past five or 10 years, you know, we've seen a real expansion in the need for cybersecurity a real rise in ransomware and social engineering that, that businesses might not have planned for. And I know you have a lot of experience in this space in dealing with cybersecurity. So how has it looked from your perspective? You know, we do our best to ensure that the systems that we're entrusted to maintain and secure that our user bases are cognizant and have you know, things like user training and that we're employing, at least from an IT perspective, best practices. We try to share information, tips and knowledge about how to protect oneself, how to you know, discern a, a fake phishing email from a real one, things like that. So that's through structured and unstructured type of training that we offer. But working from home, I think, and again, to tie this back to the stress levels, when, when one is mentally fatigued is when one is going to make a mistake. It's almost like think about driving a car. If it's late at night and you've already been awake 18 hours, right, and you're really tired and it's dark, that's when accidents are going to happen, right? Because you get drowsy, your eyes get droopy, take your eye off the road for a split second, and then bam, something happens. It's the same thing with being socially engineered through a phishing attack or something like that. You just got that one moment of weakness where an email pops up and you think it's legit, you click and now it's now you're done. So we've been trying to communicate to our user base that be extra vigilant, be extra careful being at home, especially today with the scare of the virus and you know a lot like the political climate being what it is, people get caught off guard too easily and they're willing to believe things a little too quickly. If hackers understand anything the best. It's really psychology. A lot of people put credence or emphasis on hackers' technical abilities. And yes, they do have technical abilities, but no more than I do or, or any of my peers. What they really are good at 
is the psychological elements of tricking people into doing things. So working from home, plus with everything else going on, makes people a lot more susceptible to these types of dangers. You really brushed on it well. When we're vulnerable, it's so easy to take advantage of people. I really think that that you guys do a great job with the education piece. You know, I work at a company and we're relatively in tune with tech, but I still feel like a lot of people, as the stress level goes up, whether it's from situations like coronavirus or we just see stress from work and the need to get more done in a shorter period of time, getting back to the psychology aspect of it, you can only direct your attention to so many different areas at the same time. And when there's such an emphasis on productivity, it's hard to operate to the best of your ability while also keeping cybersecurity in mind. And, and it's really the charge that's really, you know, uh, there's a little bit too emphasis on isn't this IT's responsibility? And yes, to a, a major extent, but there is a growing amount of accountability that is put upon the user because ultimately it's the user who is clicking and replying and taking action, not IT. So we can attempt to shift accountability completely to IT and, and it starts there, but it really is a partnership with the user. And so more and more demands are put upon people like yourself who may not necessarily be super tech savvy. And you don't need to be, you just need to be educated and mindful in a way that you need to be armed with enough intelligence and information to be able to discern when something looks suspicious and you shouldn't take action or whether something is actually valid and you can proceed. Let me give you a different or a different analogy to help maybe um, kind of put this together. You know, the military talks about things like depths of defense, right? Any successful military campaign doesn't have just one line of defense. It has multiple lines of defense. You have to pierce through many, many layers of defense in order to defeat the enemy. So with IT security, it's much the same way. There, there are many layers of, of defense. Some of them are, as you said, very technology-based, software, hardware, systems, right? But the other elements not to be overlooked are things like good process and an informed user base. They have the right understanding of these things. When you marry great technology with solid process and you know smart people, then you reduce the hacker's ability to be successful. And notice how I said reduce, not eliminate, because there is no way to 100% protect everything unless you just want to bury the computer in concrete. That's really the only way, but obviously that makes the system unusable. So it really is many layers of defense and there shouldn't be ever a focus, a singular focus or dependency on any one of those layers. So a big reason why I wanted to have you on is that as, as an insurance advisor, I spend so much time educating my clients on the fundamental values and principles of risk management because some things might be more discernible and, and fathomable and understandable and almost common sense for people like us who really are dealing with risk management on a daily basis. I have such an appreciation for people and businesses like you that take on an active role as a risk manager, you know, not only talking about cybersecurity, but when you talk about overseeing a company's digital operations, you know, so many of us can relate to a time where they relied on technology 
in their day-to-day business and it failed them and they like you said you know where are the IT people we almost take it for granted but I have such a respect for people in your position that take on that burden and really champion it does it mean anything to you to, to be in that position and does that fuel you and does that really hit home in your heart yeah, I mean, it's a it's a really interesting point to bring up here. Um, not every business is hewn from the same stone. The ones that take IT more seriously, they may not understand it completely. They've got a good understanding of it and how it affects their business and how it affects or is able to control risk. Those are the win-win partnerships for us. Those that look at IT as purely a line item expense, then that's not so much of a a great partnership for us. I mean, it could be a decent or a good partnership, but it's not a great partnership. The way to really look at technology and what makes us feel much better about the way we deliver our services for our customer base is when those customers engage us at the level of accepting us almost at that C-level position. They open up their business strategy, their goals, and their objectives to us. If we can go through a process of learning and understanding those goals and those objectives, then we can start to design technology solutions that mitigate risk, that help them achieve a goal, that you know help them be more efficient or productive, whatever it is that they're setting out to do. But risk is always, and security is always an under, underlying theme through almost any conversation that we're having with them. It's either the risk of doing something or the risk of not doing something, right? And not just in risk in terms of being successful or unsuccessful. You may be successful, but what have you exposed your business to? Whether it's you've overlooked compliance or you've exposed customer data unnecessarily. It almost is like a vindication. Uh, All of us geeks from the 90s and early 2000s that were you know, always trying to get, you know, people to understand what it is that we're doing. You know, finally in the 2010s and now in the 2020s, business views technology much, much more differently. And that it is not just a competitive advantage, but it's a, it's a key to success for any business these days. And it can also be their undoing if they're not managed properly. So there has to be C-level CEO focus and vision and uh, acceptance and, you know, an embracing of technology as a seat at the table partner. I like how you put that. That almost leads me into my next question, you know, and it really relates to how I do business as well, because across any industry, you don't want to have a client that just looks at you and the value that you work to provide as just simply an expense. You want people that will really partner with you. But at the same time, with the coronavirus pandemic, I think the biggest obstacle for a large number of businesses out there is cash flow right now. And anytime we have a downturn like this economically, businesses are going to look for ways to cut expenses. And there are going to be those businesses that look to their risk management and say, maybe this is something that we need to cut. What would your message be to those businesses willing to sacrifice risk management, whether it's on the insurance side, whether it's digital risk management for their business operations, what do you say to those businesses that are willing to sacrifice that to save a buck in the short term? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question, right? So if you come out the other end of it and uh, you come out unscathed, uh, unscathed, right, then you look like a genius, right? You're the next Albert Einstein because you, you were able to 
reduce those expenses and take that risk. And you see, it didn't happen to you. Uh, but the way I liken this is, hey, look, you know what? You can you can drive without auto insurance. I've been I've been driving for God knows how many years now. Let's say 35 years of my life I've been driving, and I can count on less than one hand how many times I've been in an auto accident. Right? Maybe two or three times. So you know, you one could say that for 30 some odd years I didn't need to have auto insurance, but the time to ask for that insurance is not after you have an accident, it's before. So what I would say is if you're planning on cutting out expenses that greatly expose your business to risk, you're actually accelerating your doom because it's not a matter of if it's going to happen, something bad is going to happen to you eventually. So as a business owner myself, faced in the same exact position that you just described. You know, we're pretty solid and whole here. We're extremely busy. Many of our customers are very dependent upon our services, but we're also dependent upon their overall long-term health. You know, so we've looked at contingency plans and figured out, well, where would we cut? And I can tell you, it's not going to be in any places that put this company at risk or our customers at risk. It won't happen and it can happen because I won't let it happen. I'm, I'm right there with you. It's a sad thing to think about because I can't remember a time where there was this much panic and there was this lack of business. It, it seems like we're living in this alternate universe, you know, having to adapt to this new way of life. And my heart goes out to those businesses that are up against the wall to the point where they don't have a choice but to cut costs in areas that are not prudent. But at the same time, you would hope that businesses in general across the board have put themselves in a position where, where they are able to weather this storm and are, and are able to invest in risk management and, and, and in other areas that will help them get through this. One would hope that a business has done plenty of preparing for times like this, but I can earnestly tell you from my experience and speaking with just about all of our major business partners, our clients, that there are just some that were not designed to withstand this type of an event. This is very unique in some ways because if you think about those that work in the theater business, right, or in the event planning business, those people are dependent upon mass social interaction, right? And now you've just basically said, or the government has said, that can't exist. So I mean, for those companies, they're kind of on the, on the extreme edge of cases where it doesn't matter how much pre-planning they could have done. They're, they're really in an awful position. I guess the only thing I could comment there is that, you know, if they have enough cash in the bank, then they can hopefully weather a few months of a downturn. For many who are maybe a little bit more in the middle, there were things that you could have done to prepare for something like this. or to use this time to figure out ways to strengthen and shore up your business in order to protect your company from a future event like this. So it's, you know, it's really hard. I mean, I, my, my heart goes out to those businesses that are just, you know, like restaurants, right? I know people in the restaurant business that are down, you know, 40, 50, 60% uh, as much as they're doing takeout. It's not the same as filling their dining hall. 
And, you know, that makes me think it puts us in a scary position today because while the numbers, at least, you know, for the New York metro area do show that we're getting over a hump, we haven't defeated the coronavirus. We haven't come up with the cure. We haven't come up with a vaccine yet. So it's almost inevitable that there is going to come a certain point that people in in certain industries, they're going to have to, to a certain extent, neglect the, the health aspect, and they're going to be pushing to get back to work no matter what, because what other choice do they have? You, you mentioned just previously, what could businesses have done to plan for this better? I would ask the government, and I, I'm not blaming any officials from the very top all the way down to local officials. I'm not blaming anybody, but we didn't prepare for this properly, right? So let's be honest with ourselves. Our plans thus far have been very reactionary. The goalpost keeps moving constantly. We've sown, I think, an overabundance amount of fear and maybe even some distrust in the public. We need a more sensible way to deal with something like this. And I think when we come through the other side of it, we need to get together the best minds that we have and figure out a way, how do we manage something like this in a better way where the cure isn't worse than the disease. Because there's a lot of people saying, oh, but you know, if you're only concerned about business, then you're not concerned about lives. Well, those two are not mutually exclusive, right? Um, Because, you know, one has to understand that without a paycheck, I can't feed my family. And so then therefore, the health of my family is in decline. Maybe not today, but maybe next week, or maybe next month, or maybe next year. And we're seeing, and I'm hearing, from my customer base, that this is what everybody is concerned about. We need to find a way to get back to work and that we need a better plan for the future, just like we as businesses are always planning for things like this and how to survive and how to manage risk, right, is how do we manage and control and be much more proactive instead of reactive the next time around. You know, I think the two of us are very similar in that we, we're always looking at a pragmatic approach. We'd all love a reality in which we could go back to work and and be healthy at the same time and not have to worry about getting sick. Being able to provide for your family and, and, and put food on the table as opposed to staying alive. It's taking probably the, the two highest priorities, health and life and vitality, but then also economic survival and just pinning them up against each other. Well, they're, they're right. We put them in diametric opposition to each other right now. And it doesn't seem sensible to me, to me as a U.S. citizen, as a, you know, as a, uh, a member of this society, as a business leader, as a human being, as a, a person outspoken in my community, it, it just doesn't seem sensible. Now I get it and I'm and I don't I'm not casting blame and I'm not saying well that was wrong and I wouldn't because Monday morning quarterback serves no one any good or any purpose. But we do need for the future to look back and say what went right, what went wrong, what could have been better, right? We have to ask these questions and we have to come up with a better strategy the next time. I just want to say that I really appreciate you being on today. I think the conversation has been very constructive and and I've enjoyed it thoroughly. I think that what it comes down to at the end of the day is in these times of need, how can we within our own professional capacities, but also expanding those professional capacities, how can we just be as much help as we possibly can 
we all have our own needs and it's hard to put your your own needs and your own family's needs aside but it sounds corny but we are in this together and if we divide ourselves then we're not going to get through it at all well listen the best question one could ask if you're in any type of service business or you're serving somebody else in some capacity right now the biggest question in my my opinion is how do i help right how can i help uh, even if it's just listening right or just sharing ideas there might be things that I can do physically. There might be things that we could do with our services to improve your condition, but how do I help, right? And I think um, in that regard, uh, one ways that you can help is to be mindful of other people's risks and to help them keep their eye uh, on managing that risk properly and not, not to allow their, their mind to drift in a different direction without paying respect to the risk that might be in front of them as well. I think how we can get through it together, when you align your own interests with the interests of others, then by helping others, you are helping yourself. It doesn't have to come down to being selfish versus selfless. So I think that that's something that we always have to fall back on. But Robert, thanks so much for coming on. And I wish you and Progressive Computing the best of luck in dealing with this and, and getting through it. And just thank you. Ian, I, I really enjoyed our, our uh, time together, our talk, uh, the conversation, the topic uh, is, is something that's uh, on my lips every day. It's on my mind. It's definitely insightful of you uh, to bring a topic like this to your listening audience. So that's it for our interview with Robert Chaffee. Such a pleasure to have him on. Before we say goodbye, I can't emphasize heavily enough how important it is for every single business to have cyber liability insurance as a part of their risk management portfolio. Not only does it protect the digital infrastructure of your business, but also the sensitive data of your clients in any scenario where that data is compromised. To learn more about cyber liability insurance and to continue the conversation, you can contact me directly via my website, ianmlinder.com. And that does it for episode number two. Thank you for tuning in. And until next time, be sure to keep it risk-free.